Welcome into the Housing Hour with Kevin Ray, a locally produced program devoted to bringing you a fresh perspective on housing, diving into the issues that matter most. The Housing Hour with Kevin Ray is presented by Mortgage Investors Group. And now, Kevin Ray. And welcome into the Housing Hour. I am not Kevin Ray. That is a false statement right at the first. I am Mark Griffith filling in for the very verbal Kevin Ray who cannot be here today. But we will carry on without him. Um, And in the co-host chair, my friend, colleague, and radio personality throughout Knoxville, Richard Swan. Thanks, Richard. Thank you, Mark Griffith, for allowing me to join you today. And I'm excited to talk with our guest today. So, yeah, it should be a great show. We do. And before we get to our wonderful dynamite guest. Uh, let's talk about how you can plug in with us. TheHousingHour.com, that's our treasure trove of information. We've got everything there. If you want to look past interviews and stuff for the last eight years, we've been on there. And our guest here has been on it several times, but we'll talk. To, we'll bring her in here in just a minute. Facebook slash The Housing Hour. That's a new, our social media platform. We've got a whole social media team that works together. Believe me. And when I say a team, believe me, it's an awesome team. I got three or four people back there that are doing all of our posts for us on Twitter at The Housing Hour. So if you can't figure us out on social media, there's something wrong. You need to come to one of our seminars and let us help you figure that out. But in studio, because... April 15th is coming up, which is a big, big circle on your calendar for taxes due. Um, we have in the studio, again, with us, the tax cat. That is our name. That is her name. It's on her license plate. Yvonne Kautz from Five Star Holding Holdings Incorporated. Is that correct? That is correct. You have it right. Kautz. K-A-U-T-Z. Correct. My husband says... Yes, it's cow plus a TZ. <laughs> so, <laughs> think it's scouts. It works well. It does work well. But thank you for joining us again. This is maybe third or fourth, fifth time with us. Yes, absolutely. Thanks for having me back. I think talking about taxes is ultra, ultra important. As Americans, we are all paying taxes. Mm-hmm. And it's important that we understand our tax rights, as well as discussing what's going on with the new tax reform, because it's been very interesting results for taxpayers this year, a bit unexpected in many different ways. Uh, so talking about it and getting the information out there is critical. It is critical, and it's it's often scary. I mean, you know, when it comes through, I, I just get very antsy about everything. And, and I've compounded my trouble because with your help, uh, we have formed a uh, 501c3, which is anybody needs a nonprofit, even a small nonprofit like ours, um, the tax cat can help you with that. And we'll get into that maybe a little bit later about how you can plug in with uh, Yvonne. But uh, it's a scary process. It is. It can be. I think that tax planning throughout the year makes the biggest difference in ensuring that your outcome is what you desire it to be. Everybody has different plans for their taxes as far as a, a refund. You know, they may, um, you know, like a larger refund because they have certain plans for it. Maybe they're taking a big vacation or remodeling their home or looking to buy another home or something along those lines. And then there are others who uh, want to pay in to meet their liability, but no more than that. So 
I think that uh, looking at our tax scenario more than once a year at the time of filing a return is critical because that helps you to know that you are on track with where you want your tax scenario to end up the next year at filing time. Steps that we can take on a regular monthly, even daily basis can lead uh, to that type of planned outcome. And that way, there are no no surprises. You have exactly the scenario you've planned for. Well, and with IRS seems to change the, the, uh, you know, the, the goalposts. Every year, it seems like to me, and I don't understand all of what it does or accomplishes. I just know sometimes it affects me, and when it affects me, it's probably too late in the game to change anything to really affect. Richard, how does how do in your past the the changes? How has it affected you in your planning of it? Well, one of the changes that they're doing this year because I'm commission only, so a lot of what I receive. I have expenses that go along with that. Well, they've changed that deduction. They've eliminated the personal business expenses for employees that are W-2 employees, and that's a huge impact on, I can't count by mileage, I can't count um, and we're going to get into that a little bit later. entertain clients and things like that. And one of the things you said is tax rights, know your tax rights, uh, and what we can claim and what we can't claim. But then I'm also sure that you see a a lot of people that need to understand their tax wrongs Mm -hmm. and what they're doing wrong and what they're claiming that they can't really claim. And so we probably will talk a little bit about that and, and just, you know, what are things that people aren't looking at? Correct. And the new reform does, in fact, bring a lot of changes such as what you're talking about that was a surprise uh, to people uh, as far as, oh, wow, I can't deduct my mileage and things like that any longer due to changes in the reform itself. So also the lack of education about tax uh, is, I feel, a, a very big issue. It's something I'm trying to change in my lifetime as far as getting out and teaching in our community and also talking on a program such as this to get people talking about taxation. I'm also teaching classes at the University of Tennessee um, through their non-credit program, and I've actually, uh, in the midst of tax season, come up with two additional classes uh, that I am hoping to launch uh, come the fall. Uh, So lots going on there in beginning that conversation. You know, my ultimate goal is for taxation to be a uh, mandatory requirement of uh, core curriculum uh, at the high school and college level because the exposure of the information is critical. Um, and it, it really needs to be at all ages, not just those in school, uh, to understand taxation. Oh, well, that's and a, yeah, that's a good point. How much more beneficial would it be rather than some, somebody taking like an advanced algebra to take? business accounting to take here's how you set up a profit and loss statement here's how you do your taxes here's what you need to know about withholding and and setting your taxes aside and yet our schools seem to have gotten totally away from that and that's a totally different topic Mm -hmm. but that's information that kids don't learn anywhere else they don't learn that information there aren't classes that teach you that and i think part of it is they think it's such a 
deep subject that, well, they're not going to understand it. Well, they certainly don't understand the process, so why not teach that in schools along with credit scoring? What goes into your credit? What drives credit scoring? Which are things we deal with all the time, and people say, well, I didn't know I had to have a credit card open. And you do, because that's 30% of your score is credit cards. So, Exactly, and it, it may help uh, for people to know at a younger age. I personally believe it needs to be a class on personal finance overall and for tax to be a unit in that, along with how to use credit wisely so that our young folks can make the right decisions starting out and not, uh, you know, decisions that will come back to haunt them when they do want to buy a home uh, or make a, a large purchase that requires credit. And, you know, and, and going with that, because uh, even kids, they need to learn this stuff. And, and with their parents planning for their tax season right now, it might not be a good idea. It might be a great idea for them to pull in to see what is needed in order to start that preparation. And if you're not using it, if you're doing it yourself. So tell everybody, um, it just begin. We just got two minutes left. Tell us about some of the items you need to be pulling together right now in order to complete this by April 15th. Absolutely. Too late. <laughs> no. Hey, it hey, should have been done that a month ago. <laughs> it is T minus 13 yeah. today. Uh, we are at DEFCON 1, as uh, my uh, military constituents would say. Uh, so. We are close, but it's not over yet, and there is still time to gather all of your income documents as well as your expenses. So whether uh, you have W-2 income, you may have a mortgage to deduct and property taxes. If you're self-employed, that would be your 1099 income plus all of your expense records. I thoroughly believe that taking a tour through your bank statements is very revealing Mm -hmm. to find expenses that you may not remember making, uh, or perhaps it was an online renewal of a license for a realtor uh, that uh, you might not remember. So I think there's a treasure trove of information in just going back into uh, statements that are already there and available for you. Just right. need to print them out and get a highlighter and have at it. And, you know, and trust just, me, just let an underwriter go through your bank statements <laughs> and you will find expenses that nobody knew about. All right. And when we come back, we're going to talk a lot more about taxes and everything. We've got Yvonne, Yvonne Couts with us from Five Star Holdings talking about taxes. We'll be right back. Housing Hour with Kevin Ray continues, helping you understand what's really going on out there and what to do about it. Again, Kevin Ray. We're back in Talking Taxes. This is Mark Griffith, presented by Mortgage Investors Group is what the Housing Hour is. So, and you've joined us, and we've got a great show going on. Richard Swan in here co-hosting. Thank you for coming back with us. And um, in studio, Yvonne Couts, our tax, tell us your exact role title as a tax preparer it would be a tax practitioner you're a tax practitioner see that's what you it want. is it, it sounds like you know worse than an accountant 
<laughs> I'm doing surgery. And, yeah. No, but this is good. She's got great knowledge. And plus, she's got a personality that's really relaxing. Yvonne, truthfully, when you when I was in consultation with you on forming our um, 501c3, you were very reassuring, very positive and very relaxing to me and my family. So I, I just want to just tell everybody out there, if you're thinking about it, if you're worried about your taxes, you really need to talk to her because she just will relieve all of this and plan accordingly for next year. You'll get you'll get in shape and you won't be at the last minute rushing, trying to find all your documents. Fair Exactly. Fair statement. You're, you're trying to turn this around into some type of therapy deduction, aren't you? Well, I'm telling you, <laughs> you know it as well as I do. This requires. I know you some, need therapy, <laughs> but <laughs> we all need therapy when it comes to tax time because people get stressed out so much. I mean, it's and even if you are prepared, it's still a very stressing time. I don't care, you know, who you are, but um, well, you were going back and before the break, you talked about some of the documentations we need. I want you to any any other special wrap up. I want uh, specifically to ask you about the health care forms because, you know, after I had all my stuff together, then all of a sudden I got a form in the mail that was a health uh, care form, and I didn't understand what the what was going on. So explain all that to us. Absolutely. Under the Affordable Care Act and intersecting with the new tax reform, the um, health care provision and tax return still exists for 2018. That's why we have health care coverage forms for 2018. Now, ordinarily, they would need to be out at the end of January, uh, like W-2s. However, the IRS gave an extension to employers on issuing those until early March. So employers had additional time to issue those, uh, and that's what you received in the mail after getting your tax documents together or you know, may have already filed, and then we have the health care forms coming through. There are three different ones. I'll speak to each. The first one is a 1095A as an alpha. That is if you purchased um, coverage through one of the health exchanges. Uh, so, uh, you know, what everybody refers to as Obamacare. Uh, so, again, health uh, exchange coverage comes on that form. That form is critical. If you had any coverage through the health exchange uh, during 2018 and that is not on your tax return and not reconciled within the return, the IRS will hold that return until the 1095 is added and the form 8965 submitted with it. Mm. Uh, so, so ultra. If you're expecting a return. Uh, a tax refund, this is going to hold it up. If That's you don't exactly have it. correct. Mm. A, a specific letter would come to the taxpayer stating that reconciliation of the health insurance premium tax credit has not been uh, included in their return and not reconciled. Therefore, they need to complete that step before their refund is going to be released. Mm. So uh, they have a special department that handles those where you can prepare that form, include the 1095A as supporting documentation, and resubmit to the IRS. Uh, but it will cause weeks-long delays in uh, processing of your return and, of course, receipt of refund. Excellent. And, so, and obviously, if the, tax, if the IRS can process everything the first time they look at it, you're better off because then 
anytime they go back to it, it's changing their system, and that's probably not a good thing for any taxpayer. Correct. Uh, the first time that you submit the return, you want it to be complete because you are stating by executing that tax return that it contains all items of your knowledge that affect your tax return in that filing. And also, it is a better practice to make sure that you get it correct and complete on the first go because if you have to file an amendment, those are not processed uh, computer-wise. They're not digitally processed like an e-filed return is. It is actually worked by hand, Mm. so amendments are physically processed by an IRS agent where things are rekeyed into the tax return and then they have to restate the tax account. And if you are due an additional refund, then a paper check is issued for it. So amendments can take anywhere from right now three to six months to process. So Now you mentioned 1095A. Correct. Um, that's from buying insurance from the marketplace. Correct. Obamacare. What's the others? The other is a 1095B, as in Bravo, uh, which is a reporting of health coverage through the year. So that one will show which months you had coverage and anyone else on your return that's covered by that policy would also be listed on that document showing the months of health coverage for the year. Hmm. And the 1095 Charlie uh, is uh, a statement about the offer of coverage. So that's an additional document that employers have to produce showing if you were offered health coverage and, and how much not to accept it and correct and how much that coverage would have cost. And it also shows if you elected that coverage, which months you had it. So you've essentially got your marketplace on the uh, A, the alpha. On the B, the Bravo shows the coverage you did have. And C, Charlie, uh, is going through the offer of coverage that was made to you and whether or not you accepted that. What do you see most of? I would say um, Bravos and Charlies are mostly what I see. Uh, so that's the ones our you know employers are issuing. Uh, and then, of course, I do see some 1095As uh, for insurance coverage uh, placed through the marketplace. Excellent. Okay. You brought up Bravo Charlie there, Alpha Bravo Charlie, obviously shows your military leaning and you do a lot of taxes for military people. So let's talk about some of the deductions that have gone away for them from them, especially reservist. Because um, if you're active military, then the government's paying a lot of your travel and to get you places and things like that. But for reservists, a lot of times they're traveling to their duty station or they're traveling to their reserve weekend. How has that impacted them? Uh, Specifically, that goes to the Schedule A of um, itemized deductions uh, for claiming our out-of-pocket expenses for our military reservists. So there's a rule uh, that if the duty station for drill is over 100 miles one way from the taxpayer's home of record, they are still able to deduct that 
as an AGI adjustment on the tax return. They do not have to itemize to utilize it. Again, it has to be over 100 miles one way uh, because that confers overnight travel and having to stay at that, you know, area where the uh, drill is taking place. And uh, they may also, in addition to mileage, incur a hotel cost and also meal expenses. Uh, So there's a big division line about the 100-mile rule. If it's under 100 miles one way, say it's a local situation and they're driving 12 miles, ordinarily in the past, you could have itemized and claimed that deduction on Schedule A. However, the suspension of the entire miscellaneous section out of the Schedule A does present issues for our military reservists deducting their expenses in addition to many other types of taxpayers being affected by that whole suspension of that section uh, because this is what I say. I don't care who you are. You're paying something to work, whether it is mileage, perhaps you have an office in the home, or you are working from home and utilizing internet and so forth for a business purpose. So you have to take a hard look at those and unfortunately not deductible at this point. But I don't believe that that argument is over yet. Well, since we're talking about itemized deductions, let's stay in that category for a moment. We got one minute left and let me ask you this question because um, we have a lot of relocating uh, home buyers that re- relocated in 2018. Um, how will this new change affect them and taking that as a deduction? Unfortunately, the moving deduction has been suspended for all taxpayers with the exception of military. Ouch. So that, that kind of hurts everything. I'd like us to be able to suspend paying our taxes for a year. I think that's a suspension that they need to adopt. Yeah, but. no kidding. But uh, when we come back from these messages, we're going to continue. I've got a couple more questions on that. This is the Housing Hour. We're in talking taxes for 2018. Due just on the 15th. We'll be back after these messages. Housing Hour with Kevin Ray continues, helping you understand what's really going on out there and what to do about it. Again, Kevin Ray. And welcome back into the Housing Hour. It's the most wonderful time of the year. (laughs) Indeed. Indeed. My favorite time is tax time. It is. Uh, I was thinking spring. That's kind of... Yvonne, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on no, the spring thing. I, I set you up for that one. <laughs> Yvonne Kautz is with us talking taxes, explaining it, unwrapping it, giving us everything that we need to know. Um, and we were talking about itemized deductions, and we talked about relocating expenses. You can't deduct those anymore. But what about reimbursed moving expenses? Um, is there been a change in that? Is if they If you get reimbursed on moving expenses, is that taxable as income? It will be on the W-2 under the code P, as in, ooh, uh, let me oh, think uh, of the phonetic, oh, I don't the military know what phonetic. The, I don't know what uh, that would be. <laughs> I'm drawing a blank. That's going to kill me. Yeah. Uh, but yes, it's on the W-2. So it is accounted for 
inside the W-2. Is that a new change? No, that okay. has been there uh, for quite some time. And that's actually been an improvement in tax reporting uh, as far as amounts uh, you know, uh, generated from a reload. Is there an, anyone exempt? Is military uh, exempt from that? No, the DFAS, uh, which is the defense accounting uh, system, uh, they actually uh, have a separate office that handles all of the moving uh, expense claims as well as the reimbursements, and they actually receive a W-2 for it. All right. And um, for for mortgage loans, first mortgage, second mortgages, uh, has there been any change as far as what's deductible and under what circumstance it is deductible? Yes, absolutely. There have been changes in that in the new reform, specifically the cap on the total amount of mortgage on a property that you can claim went from $1 million cap to $750,000 cap. That's going to hurt you, Richard. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm going to have to to make the dog pay for their own doghouse now. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, So uh, that cap did change, and there's a very specific math calculation to figure out what may in fact still be deductible if you have high mortgages uh, you know, above that $750,000 cap. Also, the HELOC rules right. have changed, which are very, very specific. You know, in days gone by, uh, you could have bought many different things with a HELOC, a car, or Uh, perhaps pay down some credit card debt, things like that. That is no longer permissible in the new reform. Uh, It is specifically um, limited to those proceeds being used only to buy, build, uh, also improve and maintain uh, the home that the HELOC is associated with. So very important that that rule has changed. If you're buying a boat, forget it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and that's what a lot of people did in the past. Or, or, But what about using those proceeds if you have enough equity to buy a second home? Uh, so it still goes back to the rule about it has to be the mortgage. It has to be the for the uh, location, the home that the mortgage is attached to. Okay. So gotcha. ultra important. But back to the boat situation really quickly. Yeah. You should take a good look at the sales tax that is included in those boat purchases because the sales tax is deductible. Oh, it is. Oh, yes, see, it there's, is. There's another reason to buy a boat. That's a great reason. <laughs> I mean, and like, we're gonna, like I needed that. And Richard is our expert on bo- boating safety. So we always have a show once or twice a year about boating safety. So, uh, we'll And I believe, to- I believe the phonetic word for P oh. is Papa. That's right. Oh, Papa. That's that's what my grandma See, I got in that's right from the tax lady. So, you know, that, the tax Excellent. cat told me I was right. Yeah. So. Goodness okay. gracious. Thanks for the rescue on that. Let, let me ask you this. Um, itemized deductions. Is there an income limit for itemizing deductions? Is there a cutoff? No, there used to be in the past. That was uh, coming out of the new tax reform that limitations on itemized deductions due to uh, higher income levels no longer exists. Uh, This tax reform is to go through the years 2025, and right now those are the rules. So whatever you paid, you will be able to deduct. Excellent. All right. All right. But haven't they taken away a lot of the deductions, though? Well, 
It depends on how you look at that. Okay. Our uh, medical bills are still deductible in excess of 7.5% right. of the AGI floor. That means uh, that there is a hill that you have to get over before they begin counting. So say your income is $100,000. Uh, so 7.5% of that AGI is 700 excuse me $7,500. Therefore, if you had medical expenses of $9,000, you have to count out the first 7,500. You got to get over that hill. So the $1,500 remaining would in fact be deductible. So that is the same from 17 to 18 as far as the tax law 7.5%. Okay. Our sales tax is still deductible. Uh, this section is what we call the SALT deduction now, state and local tax. So what that means is it can be a combination of your property tax, your state income tax, and your sales tax. You get either the income tax statewide or the sales tax, whichever is bigger in that computation. There's a limitation on that now of $10,000 total between uh, those items. Uh, So if you're higher income and you have a lot of sales tax, or say you bought that boat. Hey, guys, I'm trying to help you out here. (laughs) Say you bought that boat, and it had $7,000 worth of sales tax in it, and then your everyday sales tax pending is $3,000, and your property tax is another $2,000. Well, you got 12 there, but you're only going to be able to deduct 10. So there is a limitation to it now. Well, and most of your lower-end earners probably 90% of what is going out is going to have sales tax associated to it because they're buying groceries, they're buying tires, they're buying um, gasoline, which has its own separate tax. So, you know, if you look at where all we're being taxed, it's just hitting us everywhere, and yet we don't get a lot of relief out of a lot of that. Now, we do live in a state with no state income tax. Right. So, thus, how does the state of Tennessee actually, uh, you know, run their budget. Of course, it's from sales taxes, the biggest piece of that. Uh, In addition to our businesses pay several different lines of tax um, as well. So, and there's, you know, other ways that the uh, state funds their budget, but chiefly sales tax. But but in order to itemize, you have to exceed the standard deductions. Right. Correct. So isn't it shouldn't we talk about the standard deduction now going up uh, almost doubling? Yes, correct. I mean, so let's talk about that and put it in proportion to the itemization of this, because, uh, you know, depending on your income level, it's hard to meet this itemized uh, or standard deduction, is it not? Well, in my world, what I say is it's not over till the tax lady sings. <laughs> Are you going to sing for us, Yvonne? <laughs> no, I have a terrible singing voice. Oh. Uh, but um, anyway, point being, there's a lot of discussion about that of an automatic assumption of, oh, well, the standard deduction doubled, so I can't itemize any longer. Well, we have to take a look at that. We cannot make any assumptions. I've actually had this happen in the office where... You know, uh, someone states, well, I just don't think I can itemize. And once 
we get everything into the return. Sure enough, they are. So what we're talking about is, uh, say for a single taxpayer, the standard deduction went from 6000 to 12000 Well, if that person has a mortgage and property tax and also sales tax. And buys and, that boat. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and they also have some charitable giving. They tithe at their church uh, or uh, they uh, perhaps, um, you know, donate to various, um, you know, very worthwhile uh, 501c3 uh, organizations, uh, then they may be able to meet 12000 It depends on the individual circumstances. Right. And for our married couples filing jointly, it went from twelve to 24. And there's many discussions about it being impossible to get over uh, $24,000. But again, you don't know till you try and you do the math because then you'll always wonder, hey, was I actually able to itemize? So I go through that exercise no matter what to make sure that we do not have uh, an eligible deductions that, you know, are going to be missed because we don't do the math. I always do the math. And that's why we need a tax professional to look out for our best interest, because sometimes we think we know and we don't know. And then you take a look at it and all of a sudden, boom. But 24000 that seems like that seems like a lot of. A lot of money, especially the uh, personal deduction for some has been eliminated or changed. And we've only got one, maybe 30 seconds left. We'll come on the back side of that. But isn't that a, a significant hit, too? Uh, it's an interesting hit because the standard deduction doubled, but personal exemptions are now worth zero. So you're trading out from one pocket to the other. Okay. And when we come back, we're going to talk more about this stuff. Taxes, tax season, it's ready. TheHousingHour.com will continue after these messages. Housing Hour with Kevin Ray continues, helping you understand what's really going on out there and what to do about it. Again, Kevin Ray. All right, we're back. This is the HousingHour.com. Mark Griffith with Richard Swan, guest co-host, helping me out. We're filling in for Kevin Ray, who can't be with us, but we will continue as we've been doing. This is our fourth and last segment, so you guys better tune in because the good stuff is coming. From Yvonne Couch with us, the tax lady, the tax cat, whatever you want to call her, she's got the answers. We appreciate you really being here and helping us again. Absolutely. Thank you for the opportunity to outreach and do some tax education on the radio. Yeah, you, you are. You're such a good teacher and uh, it's it's fun to listen to you talk and explain everything. But you were talking about the standard deductions versus itemized deductions. Talk a little bit more about how kids are calculated and all that good stuff because I know there's more to this. Absolutely. Uh, so in the new tax reform, uh, the child tax credit for a qualifying child uh, has gone from 1000 to 2000 uh, So that has been a nice boon uh, for uh, the taxpayers that have eligible children on that tax return for the $2,000 per child uh, credit. So uh, the qualifications there are, you know, the uh, familial relationship uh, as well as residency and providing over 50% of their support. But it goes specifically to the age of the child. So anywhere from birth through the year that they're 16, 
that qualifies for the $2,000 credit so long as all those qualifying tests are met. Now, uh, speaking to a change in the tax reform is the creation of a new credit called the ODC, Other Dependent Credit of $500, uh, which does pick up when those children turn 17. So if they turned 17 in 2018, then that means they may be eligible for that $500 credit, which is a, you know, a nice improvement uh, to the return and can go through the age that they are in college, which could be up to uh, age 23. Um, And it can also be for an elderly parent uh, who is living with you and meets all the qualification tests to be counted as an other relative dependent, qualifying relative that is, and an other dependent on the tax return may in fact be eligible for the additional $500 credit. So that's something the government did good for us. Exactly. Uh, previously, uh, in prior tax law, uh, the child tax credit automatically ended at the year they turned 17, and there were no other credits available. So the ODC does bring a nice $500 uh, tax credit uh, that will reduce uh, tax uh, that is tremendous uh, as far as an additional option for tax relief. Excellent. Excellent. And um, uh, do you have anything to add? Well, those, those kids that are over 17, if they're going to college, they're costing you a lot more than that tax credit. <laughs> Trust me on that. You see, even if they're not going to college. Yeah. Now, one of, the, one of the things that you said was about the ten, the uh, dependent elderly person. Um, what happens if they have income? You have to look at that very closely. There is a gross income calculation for the elderly, you know, dealing with uh, the Social Security or pension income, uh, these type of incomes that you would expect to see for a retired person. Uh, So all the math has to be done on that to figure out their gross income calculation when looking at that. And all of the tests have to be met to determine that they are, in fact, a qualifying uh, relative on your return. Yeah. All right. So let's let's look something close to our hearts, Richard's and, and my heart, uh, is business expenses. Because I know there's been a lot of changes. And I, I know that there's a lot of people out there that go on the road looking for their own leads. Uh, they're salespeople, over-the-road salespeople, whatever. How is that affected? Because if they're not getting reimbursed for this, they're typically right off their own expenses. How does this change impacts them? Well, the suspension of the entire uh, miscellaneous section of uh, the Schedule A uh, did eliminate, or suspend is technically the the right word, uh, deductions for unreimbursed W-2 job expenses. So I've seen a lot of impact from this this tax season, not only for our military brothers and sisters, uh, but in addition to any type of of um, employee uh, that is incurring expenses uh, to complete their job. Uh, So I don't feel that this um, argument is over yet. It is already written into the tax law, but I think that, uh, you know, I would hope that is, uh, it may in fact be reconsidered because many people are paying out of pocket, whether it's mileage or taking clients to lunch, 
or perhaps it is an office in their home where they work strictly from home. They are remote employees. In this day and age where that is very prevalent, they do not have deductions for it any longer. It, are, are we talking about just W-2 type of uh, employees in this scenario? That's correct. Could they switch with their employer to 1099 and start deducting it again? Well, there are several different factors there that goes into that discussion. A 1099 employee, uh, excuse me, ooh, that's that's definitely not the right thing to say. A 1099 contractor yeah. that is not an employee may file a Schedule C and take off their expenses. However, the bottom line of that Schedule C is subject to self-employment tax. Right. Therefore, that is a very special animal that has to be reviewed and managed on a quarterly basis. And can the employer then pay their health insurance? You have those issues as well. Plus, the big elephant in the room is the phrase, right to control. So subsequently, that is a definition the IRS pays very great attention to on whether or not the employer has the right to control that employee. At that point, they are not a 1099 independent contractor. Uh, They are a W-2 employee. Oh, okay. So you really kind of talked me out of that. (laughs) So you want to stay W-2. One last area that probably a lot of people don't think about, but is probably an issue, Um, you know, younger People that are working restaurant jobs, that are working um, things where they're receiving tips, they're receiving a lot of non-recorded income. Do you find a lot of those either don't report that income or don't have the cash if they do report everything that they made? And are restaurants with all the credit cards, are restaurants having to change how they report tips with all of the credit card receipts that are done? So restaurants have um, their rules about the reporting. The IRS is very specific that all tip income, whether cash or done by credit card, must in fact be reported on that employee's W-2. So there is a separate box there for the tips that the restaurants account for. Now, if uh, there is the case that that's not happening, the taxpayer has the responsibility that they should be recording all of their tip income. The IRS requires that. So they need to follow that rule, and so do our restaurant establishments with properly recording tip income because it is all taxable. Okay, so we've peppered you with questions. We just have a few minutes left in in this segment. What are some of the things uh, that we should be thinking about now that we haven't talked about? All kinds of things. Oh, just I could talk me. about taxes forever. <laughs> forever. Part six, seven, eight, nine, ten. But uh, give give us uh, something you know that's really important that we might not have mentioned. Definitely. And that's how the housing hour became tax time with cat. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I think also um, a nice change from our uh, tax reform uh, is for our 1099 employees, say it's a realtor, 
Okay, and they're filing a Schedule C. The new QBI deduction is out there and available, uh, which is a, a nice tax reducer, tax uh, tax taxable income, that is, uh, where the bottom line of the Schedule C may receive a 20% uh, deduction against the taxable income. Uh, so there are rules to qualify to use that. Uh, so the rules are very, very specific. Um, certain fields are excluded, uh, but it needs to be a qualified business um, activity. So uh, that I have seen being a, a tax saver uh, for um Definitely taxpayers and so forth that are independently uh, contracted uh, or have just independent income activities. Excellent. And, you know, we're coming to the end of the show. We just got probably about a minute left in this. And um, I just want to tell everybody listening, if you've got taxes coming up here very quickly, you've got to do this. Maybe you just haven't been very good all year keeping your records or thinking about this. You need to give Yvonne a call. You can find us uh, her information, contact information on the housinghour.com. She is not a paid in- endorser of this program, so I give this freely. Kevin and I are both big supporters of her because she knows what she's talking about and she can help you. So go to the housinghour.com, look at that information, share it with your family and friends, all this recording because it's a huge help. Yvonne, thank you so much again. Thank you. It's an honor to be here and to serve others. Thank you. Thank you. And Richard, thank you very much for being here. And uh, I tell you what, next week we'll be back with the housinghour.com. Come back. Bye. That's the Housing Hour with Kevin Ray for today. Join Kevin and his guests each week at this time to keep up with the why and why not you need to know, so come here to find out. Also, check us out at thehousinghour.com. This show is presented by Mortgage Investors Group.